Welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. Puerto Rico Oversight Board sues governor agencies over pension laws. U.S. Virgin Islands Senator gets one-month suspension from Senate, removed as majority leader. Surprises by findings U.S. Virgin Islands governor won second USVI census ahead of scheduled 2030 count. Royal Caribbean deal to buy Bahamas Resort canceled. Dark Group highlights $500 million pipeline projects for Cayman Islands and Taiwan's technical mission assisting farmers with hoop greenhouse systems. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Friday, December 24th. We start a report today in Puerto Rico. The bond buyer reports that the Puerto Rico Oversight Board filed a lawsuit against the Puerto Rico's governor and government agencies to stop implementation and enforcement of pension laws, it says, will add $8.3 billion of retirement benefits for government employees. The board filed a suit in the U.S. District Court for the District of Puerto Rico late Monday against Governor Pedro Perlusi and the Fiscal Agency and Financial Advising Authority. Luis M. Colazo Rodriguez in his official capacities as Administrator of the Retirement System for Employees of the Government of Puerto Rico and Executive Director of the Government of Puerto Rico's Retirement Board, and Juan Blanco in his official capacities as Director of the Office of Management and Budget. The board says the Puerto Rico government enacted Act 80, Act 81, and Act 82 in August 2020 without sufficient analysis of how much the new retirement benefits would cost or how to pay for the additional cost. The administrator of Pelosi and former Governor Wanda Vasquez both explicitly agreed not to implement the three laws until the government and the oversight board agreed on an affordable implementation plan. Because Pelosi signed the joint resolution 33 last week, the board said implementing and enforcing it along with Acts 80, 81, and 82 would add significant new and unaffordable retirement benefits for government employees, the board said. U.S. Virgin Islands senators on Tuesday evening voted on and approved a resolution that sanctioned Senator Marvin Blyden for violating the U.S. Virgin Islands Department of Health protocol when he failed to quarantine after testing positive for COVID-19. The resolution removes Mr. Blyden of his majority leadership position and also suspends him for 160 hours from the U.S. Virgin Islands legislature or one month. Previously, the Committee on Ethical Conduct, which came up with the sanctions, had included a four-month suspension, but the punishment was dramatically reduced. Mr. Blyden was suspended without pay for a period of 160 hours from all legislative activities, including sessions, committee meetings, caucus meetings, and any other meetings or activities held by the legislature. The suspension commences the next calendar day after the adoption of the resolution according to the resolution. The suspension does not affect the senator's staff and Mr. Blyden's ability to manage the affairs of his senatorial office for failing to act with dignity and respect. For the high offices he holds, Senator Marvin A. Blyden is removed from the office of majority leader upon the adoption of this resolution. The resolution further reads, Mr. Blyden will maintain his current committee chairmanship
chairmanship of the Senate Committee of Housing, Transportation, Infrastructure, and Telecommunications. The Committee on Ethical Conduct charged Mr. Blyden with breaking the legislator's rules for decorum and ethical conduct, as well as violating the oath of office, in which elected officials swear to uphold the Constitution and the laws of the U.S. Virgin Islands. Out of the 15-member legislative body, 12 senators voted in favor of the resolution, with two senators absent, and Mr. Blyden voted against the resolution. The Virgin Islands Consortium reports that the U.S. Virgin Islands Governor Albert Bryan has announced that due to some of the surprising findings of the Virgin Islands 2020 census, his administration would most likely look into conducting another census before the scheduled 2030 count. Somewhere along the line, we're going to find some money to do another census because we can, but we will have to pay for it, he said in response to a question during the U.S. Virgin Islands Public Finance Authority's regular meeting, which occurred on Tuesday. A Public Finance Authority board member was questioning the findings, which showed that the territory's population has been dramatically reduced. The territory's allotment of federal funding is adjusted to reflect population growth or decline. When there is a decline, funding is reduced, and when the population grows, funding is adjusted up. It was unclear as to whether the federal government would base its funding decision on the findings of the census other than the U.S. Census Bureau's. The U.S. Census Bureau in October released a 2020 census population and housing unit counts for the U.S. Virgin Islands. As of April 1, 2020, the U.S. Virgin Islands population, according to the Bureau, was 87,146, representing a decrease of 18.1% from the 2010 census population of 106,405. The housing unit count was 57,257 in 2020, representing an increase of 2.4% from the 2010 census housing unit count of 55,901. The population and housing unit count data as of April 1st are collected once a decade during the decennial census. The 2020 island area censuses counted people living in American Samoa, the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands, Guam, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Acknowledging that the territory's population reduced during that period because of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and hurricanes Irma and Maria in 2017 that battered the territory, Mr. Bryan said that the U.S. Virgin Islands is the only place in the USA that conducts a 100% census. We are likely the only place in the United States that conducts a 100% census. Every place else, they just sample. They are pretty good at projecting what the numbers should look like, so we don't have to worry, he said, while pointing out that the small size of the territory can allow for various interpretations of the data. So we will have to sponsor a complete census, he said, without indicating a timeline for realization of such a project. The 2020 census of the U.S. Virgin Islands collected detailed demographic, social, economic, and housing characteristics using a long-form questionnaire.
The streak reports that Get Royal Caribbean Group report scuttled its plan to buy the Grand Lucayan Resort in Freeport, Bahamas, after the New Island's government determined that the way the sale was structured was not in the best interest of the Bahamian people. Matt Hotchberg reported on the Royal Caribbean blog. After it took office, the new government created a cabinet subcommittee to examine the sale and explore options to speed up the redevelopment of the Grand Lucayan Resort. The government was frankly not satisfied with what was proposed or that the project would be advanced in the short or medium term, government representatives said in a statement. We were not willing to continue on without a clear timeline for completion and were of the view that many of the terms were not in the best interests of the Bahamian people. The Bahamas expects a quick sale of the Grand Lucayan Royal Caribbean, still has interest in the property and will participate as a bidding process that the government expects will happen quickly. The Grand Lucayan Resort has already cost taxpayers well in excess of $150 million. Talks and other potential investors will start shortly. We will keep the Bahamian people abreast of developments with this project as they occur, the statement declared. Royal Caribbean had big plans for Grand Lucayan. The cruise line had planned to redevelop the Grand Lucayan Resort into a major tourist draw. The plans include a beachfront destination, which would include a 526-room hotel, shopping village, spa and wellness center, water and adventure park, convention center, adventure activities such as zip lining, restaurants and bars, and entertainment, according to the Royal Caribbean blog, which has no affiliation with the company. In addition, the cruise line was expected to help redevelop the shops in the cruise ship terminal in Freeport. Those plans are off for now, but they could be revived. Royal Caribbean remains committed to working with the government of the Bahamas and the people of Grand Bahama to support the government's vision for the transformation of the tourism product and offerings in Grand Bahama, the company said in a statement. The cruise line has invested heavily in its Cocoa Key private island in the Bahamas over the past few years, adding a water park, the largest pool in the Bahamas, and an upscale beach club. It is currently developing an adults-only area on the island. Royal Caribbean also has plans to build a destination experience on Paradise Island in Nassau, Bahamas, and it has leased land to build that property. The Cayman Compass reports that the DART Group is investing more than $500 million in a pipeline of real estate projects in Cayman, a senior company official reveal. Speaking at the reopening of the newly refurbished Ritz-Carlton Resort last week, Justin Howe, president of real estate assets management for DART, said the $50 million investment in the hotel was just the beginning. He said DART has spent $12 million renovating the old Comfort Suite Hotel which has now reopened under the Hampton by Hilton brand. Hotel Indigo, currently mid-construction on Seven Mile Beach, will open to visitors in 2024, he said. Howe said Dart was committed to Cayman and had high confidence in the resurgence of the tourism industry. In total, the Dart pipeline of projects and inward investment in Cayman real estate is well over $500 million, creating hundreds of jobs 
jobs, he said. The developer is also continuing construction on new office and apartment buildings in Kamina Bay and recently completed a multi-million dollar expansion of the Cayman International School. Cayman is well placed to welcome back the visitors we know are longing to return to our shores as global travel picks up in 2020, he said. Tourism Minister Kenneth Bryan has welcomed Dart's investment. Speaking on behalf of the government at last week's reopening event, he said the company's spending was practical demonstration of hope for the islands. I'm delighted that the Dart Group continues to demonstrate confidence in our islands and the resurgence of our tourism products, he said. I applaud the organization for being bold and seizing this opportunity to further invest in the Cayman Islands. St. Lucia Time reports that St. Lucian farmers are being urged to adopt the hoop green method of farming to not only reduce the effects of climate change on their livelihoods, but also increase their production. The advice came during a field visit on Wednesday this week by officials from the Taiwan Technical Mission and St. Lucia's Minister for Agriculture, Fisheries, Food Security and Rural Development, the Honorable Alfred Prosper. Prosper and the Taiwan Technical mission officials paid a field visit to Makud, where farmer Murky Xavier is already realizing better crop yields after introducing hoop greenhouse to his farm. The 24 hoop greenhouse units on Xavier's farm are each 6.5 feet by 60 feet in dimension. While Xavier bought the materials for the hoop greenhouse, technicians from Taiwan's technical mission provided assistance in setting them up. Xavier is already planting watermelons and cantaloupes using the system. Prosper believes more farmers need to follow Xavier's example. What I saw today is a clear demonstration of interest by this farmer, and I would like to see this emulated by other farmers in St. Lucia, Prosper said. It is the direction in which I want our farmers to go. Climate change is impacting us, and we have to move in a direction that will ensure that climate-smart agriculture is the way to go. Prosper noted that while diversification remains a key component of the agricultural sector, there are many new technologies in agriculture that can also encourage farmers to remain in the sector and make money. Benefits of using the hoop greenhouse include longer growing season, protection of crops from harsh weather, pest prevention, and more crop options. The Taiwan Technical Mission plays a very important role in assisting St. Lucian farmers in implementing better farming practices and offering marketing of their produce. Antigua Newsroom reports that Ubuntu Connect Front Caribbean wants a monument of honor in St. Eustatius for all African people who have ever set foot on St. Eustatius in the eras of slavery. Rather than focusing on the abolition of slavery, Ubuntu Connect Front wants a prominent and permanent memorial site where the spirit and strength of ancestors can be honored. Kenneth Kuvle, chairman of Ubuntu Connect Front Caribbean, said, 
We would like to see the monument be a gathering point for memories, African tradition ceremonies and prayers, not just for residents of St. Eustatius, but for other Africans in the diaspora as well. Tens of thousands of African children, women and men have forcefully set foot on St. Eustatius during the transatlantic and inter-island slave trade only to endure all horrors of slavery. We must give them the dignified respect they have earned but never received. Many cities in the Netherlands are now diving into history in search of traces of its slavery past. In St. Eustatius, these traces are abundantly present. Not known by many, St. Eustatius was the largest transit port in the transatlantic slave trade and the inter-island slave trade in the Caribbean in the 18th century. In 2021, it seems like you are still walking around in colonial times with colonial images and names in public places and with landmarks such as Fort Orange, Battery de Wendt, a memorial for infamous Dutch colonizer and one for the former queen. Also, the much-promoted historical fact of the first salute to the U.S. in 1776 was given by a slave owner. Ubuntu Connect Front is working on a community-based inventory survey on the realization of the monument. The old market in Orangetown would make a symbolic location for the monument, as this was the place where the sale auction of our ancestors took place. How the monument should look is not in our plans. That is something for the community to discuss and decide on, the organization said. And finally, Trinidad and Tobago's Newsday reports that two-time Trinidad and Tobago Olympic medalist Kishorn Walcott concludes his 2021 campaign as the 10th best men's javelin thrower in the world. On Tuesday, World Athletics published its updated track and field athlete rankings, which saw Walcott finish on 1,276 points. Topping the list was German national record holder and Tokyo Olympics fourth place Johannes Vetter with 1,430 points, followed by this year's Olympic silver medalist of the Czech Republic and 2013 European Junior Championship gold medalist from Germany. Tokyo Olympics javelin winner Narija Chopra of India was fourth. Walcott, however, impressively remained among the globe's top 10 throwers, although he competed in just seven major events over a three-month duration this year. Walcott's final met before the Tokyo Games saw him earn a bronze with his efforts in the Mueller British Grand Prix in Gateshead, England. At the Summer Games, he was considered one of Trinidad and Tobago's favored medal contenders. However, Walcott was unable to progress out of the qualifying rounds as his best efforts fell outside the advancing five athletes from his group. His throw was ranked as seventh best. This has been your Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Friday, December 24th. I'm Keisha Wallace, wishing you a safe, blessed, and joyous Christmas Day. For more Caribbean news stories and information, visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, now Meta.